And please stand if you are not standing and turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2 for our sermon text. We will be starting in verse 11 and going to the end of chapter 2. As verse 11 to 36. This is God's word. Please give it your full attention. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All the fork brought up to the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him yearly. When she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah. And she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest and to go up to my altar to burn incense to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded from my dwelling and honor your sons above me? by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house." Then in distress you will look with an envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. 
the only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you, both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Sometimes it seems quite obvious what the Holy Spirit wants to get across. Today it's the priestly work of Jesus Christ and the priesthood of all believers. Jeremy indeed just spoke on this in the morning. And our text is about the consequences of taking the priesthood lightly and taking the high priesthood lightly. So let's set our scene in 1 Samuel 2. There's much to speak about. The Lord is still setting up his epic of history here in 1 Samuel, having introduced Hannah, the first character, Eli the priest who heard her prayer, and the son of promise in Samuel. The last sermon was over Hannah's prophetic song. She said, principally, not by might nor by power shall a man prevail. In verse 9 and verse 10, a second prophecy from the Lord, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. And she revealed later in verse 10 some of how God would do both of these things. The Lord will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And even as the words of Hannah are ringing in our ears, they are put to the test in verse 11. They are immediately put to the test in this. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. This three-year-old Samuel is given over to Eli and Shiloh according to Hannah's vow. Yes, the same Eli who raised two sons who daily desecrate the temple with their wickedness. How will this child, Samuel, fare in this charge of his, considering Eli is his charge? But before passing back to Samuel, the narrator makes us acquainted with his polar opposite, new characters in this story, the villains of this chapter, Hophni and Phinehas. The narrator is short and to the point about these two people in verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless. Let that sink in. Scripture, which often lets history happen before us without comment whether the action or the actors are good or bad, speaks utterly plainly about Eli's sons, that they were worthless men. What's more, they did not know the Lord, which is to say, did not care to hear about him, heed him, or understand anything about him, as we'll see in our narrative. These are high priests, and they don't know the Lord, and are worthless men. These two are the very opposite of what a high priest ought to be. They're 
very exclusive position makes their sin that much more heinous. This exclusivity that is being selected by God for this singular position is the first part of what it means to be a high priest. There's only one. Second, the high priest is to be an example of purity to the people. And third, the high priest was to be a mediator to draw near to God. These three things are helpful under ways of understanding what the high priesthood was and its dealings. And that last one, to draw near to God, was also its greatest blessing. These three follow one another as well. The high priest is chosen, the exclusivity of it, for the purpose and duty of being holy before God and purity, and with the blessing and duty of sacrificing to God for Israel as a mediator, entering his presence. This is such an expansive text, but is also unifying, that we'll use this threefold division to examine Phineas and Hophni and their many, many sins. So as we use these to understand the contrast of Hophni and Phineas on the one hand, and the boy Samuel on the other, we'll see just how horrible these things these two sinners are. So the priesthood, in terms of exclusivity, was exclusive. That is, they were a chosen people out of the tribe of Levi. Aaron and his sons were chosen for the high priestly office. Out of all of the descendants of Aaron's sons, the high priestly line was chosen of God, and only one person from that line could be the high priest at a time. It's the most select office in the Old Testament. Now, Eli and Hophni and Phinehas were part of this exclusive line of the high priest. According to God's requirement, these three priests were from Levi and from Aaron's bloodline through Ithamar. So far, so good. But, as we'll find out, God had rejected the high priestly line of Ithamar because of these people and their sins, Eli and his sons. And had chosen again the line of Eleazar for high priest, in the descendant of Zadok, descendant rather Zadok, which officially comes to be in 1 Kings 1.35, and immediately after this, Eli's line is officially banished, in fact, in 1 Kings 2.27 with these words. So Solomon expelled Abiathar, the grandson of Eli, from being priest to the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. Our text is that word of prophecy spoken concerning the house of Eli, which First King references. For what is really happening in this passage is a comparison of priesthoods. The comparison here is between two types of priesthood, not just two lines of priesthoods. We have the first type of priesthood, which is Eli, Phineas, and Hophni, and this compared with the second type of priest, the priest after God's own heart. Samuel, in this text especially, the son of Elkanah. This passage is a a comparison of priests to show what it really means to be a high priest or a priest at all. In terms of exclusivity, it's not about your name, not even really about your family. What the exclusivity of the high priest is really about is about holiness and glory. The office of high priest was given to only one family. And why? Because the zeal of the original Phineas, in Numbers 25, he killed at the doorway of the tabernacle those who had been sexually immoral among Israel. And the Phineas and Hophni of our story 
do far worse than that, than the people who were killed in Numbers 25 by the hand of Zealous Phineas. First, they desecrate God's sacrifices. In verse 13, we see what Phineas and Hophni do. The text literally says, a boy of the priest would come to the boiling of the flesh and fork the meat with a three-pronged fork. This was, as the ESV says, the custom of the priest, literally the judgment of the priests. The priests had judged that they knew better than God. And what that meant was taking whatever they wanted from Israel. This even included what God expressly forbade all Israel from taking. Leviticus 3.17 says, It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. Neither fat nor blood. And later on in Leviticus 7.25, God gives that prohibition upon fat a penalty. Every person who eats of the fat of the animal, of which a food offering may be made to the Lord, shall be cut off from his people. A person who eats the fat on the altar shall die, because it is especially the Lord's. Yet see, Hophni and Phinehas work through their boy emissaries in verse 15, not simply asking for the fat, but taking it, in verse 16, by force. Literally, don't miss this, by strength. These words bring us back to Hannah's song where God said, Not by strength nor by power shall a man prevail. Phineas and Hophni considered themselves to be strong. Considered themselves to be strong because they were the exclusive high priesthood and that they could not fail. So they sinned greatly before God and considered their place a place of strength to oppress the people and desecrate God's temple. Their election to priesthood had become a pretense to sin. These worthless sons had taken a position of blessing, honor, and duty before the Lord, the first servant of God, in fact, in the high priest, into thinking God ought to serve them. Do you see how we often think this way, however, brothers and sisters? Do we think that because I'm part of the church elect for which God died, God will forgive me if I do not repent of this sin or if I continue in this sin? We sometimes simply do the same thing as Phineas and Hophni, but in smaller ways and less courageous versions. We do not consider God. We do not do what he wants, but do what we want and hope that we can get away from it. But why are we elected, brothers and sisters? Our election is to be a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood before the Lord. Why? To offer spiritual sacrifices to God, acceptable by Christ Jesus. If election means that we may do anything we wish, then 1 Samuel 2 means nothing. Election means quite the opposite. So great and holy is our position That we must and will, by the grace of God, do as God desires and repent. And this is the hope for our new priest after God's own heart, Samuel. The boy lackeys of Hophni and Phinehas who steal from God's offering are, verse 17, sinning greatly before the Lord. Would Samuel be corrupted by them? This is the implicit question, verse 18. And Samuel was ministering before the Lord a young boy clothed with a linen ephod. Which will win the exclusive line? 
which is utterly worthless or the priest after God's own heart. Second, we go to purity. Well, it seems Samuel is overcoming the evil and having some influence, in fact, upon Eli. Because Eli, after something like 70 years, finally seems fed up with his wicked sons. Verse 22 is emphatic at just how large the scope of their sinning was. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. By the way, there aren't even supposed to be women serving before the tent of meeting. But Eli's worthless sons were laying with them. That is ironic, really, because it's almost identical to the sin which caused their zealous ancestor to get into a zealous, murderous rage, or rather, killing rage over. When Phineas did this in Numbers 25, killing the sexually immoral who were before the tent of the Lord. You see this in verse uh, 23 through 25 as well. Eli said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear from the people of the Lord spreading about. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? It's really quite amazing as a reproof from Eli. He doesn't understand the mediatorial nature of the high priesthood, the office that he once held. See how far Israelite practice has fallen through these corrupt priests. But as a father to a son, this was not a bad reproof. It was soft, and it was too late, however. Fathers, guide your sons before it's too late. For this was God's will towards them, verse 25, but they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Eli had failed as a father and as a priest, and this last rebuke serves a very important purpose. It shows us Eli's sons are beyond hope because they refuse to repent. They refuse to repent. As judge, he ought to have killed them on the spot. But his love for his sons has always been greater than his love for God, it appears. And so all of them are shown to be unworthy of the office of priesthood. They had utterly lost sight of the holiness and glory and exaltedness of God. Let that sink in. This is the position that we are in in the history of Israel. The high priest had utterly lost sight of God. So God says to Eli in the next section, verses 27 through 36, where an anonymous prophet called in verse 27, a man of God, prophesies against Eli, saying in essence, did I choose you as high priest to sin? Starting in verse 29, I will skip around. Why do you scorn me and honor your sons above me? I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me I shall be lightly esteemed. Skipping to verse 34. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. This curse upon them shows what the true blessing of the high priest should have been, not only showing us the hope that Israel has in this new priestly line, 
but what the true blessing should have been. That is, to go in and out before me forever, says God. Which is the third aspect of this priestly work. We know, we look upon this and wonder, I, I hope, don't we? These two men had the great blessing of coming before the presence of God. And what do they use it for? They use it for base pleasure. It has become so bad that nothing else could be done for them. Unrepentant as they were, but to kill them as they deserved thousand times over. But brothers and sisters, this is just like us today. We so often use God as our excuse to sin. First Samuel 2 warns us, Him who thinks he stands should consider lest he fall. Simply because we are in the church, or even an officer, as this text shows, does not automatically mean that we are after God's own heart. We must be like Samuel, who was small but mighty in the spirit, because trusting in Christ, trusting in the anointed one to come, as we've seen, True strength is to be strong in the strength of his might. Your election does not give you a free pass to be impure. We have no room to feel superior to Phineas and Hophni because the greatest blessing for the priests is no different for us. As Revelation 1 even told us this morning, we are a royal priesthood in Christ Jesus. The high priest was always to give way to the holier, to a mediator which would not die, the high priest of the Old Testament, to a greater priest. And we even see that in our text, that there is a high priest to come as an anointed one, that he would be offering sacrifices forever. Samuel prefigures this, yes, in our text, as he comes within the bowels of iniquity and begins to start a change towards holiness. But it's only Christ who chooses makes holy, and brings us into the presence of God perfectly, finally, and eternally. And this reminds us our exclusive election, like the high priest, was for the sake of entering into his presence. Have we forgotten the blessing of this means of grace, of morning and evening worship? Are we running after the baser things of life? Do we desire to worship him and hear from him? Or Are our worthless, finite idols calling for us and we heed their call? Are our passions asking for our strength, food and drink, wine and women, pleasure and porn? Why do we spend our strength on that which is not bread and that which does not satisfy in our labor? Being spilled upon the ground, brothers and sisters, the waters of your life are too precious to spill upon the rocks as Hophni and Phinehas have in the presence of God, no less, lest at the end of your life you groan. Christ, exclusive for all eternity, pure beyond measure, and God himself is our high priest. After the order of Melchizedek, as Hebrews tells us, he came with great power, and he did use that power correctly. Did he use that power for pleasure? No, he came to offer and sacrificed himself as our high priest, and spilled his blood for the salvation of many. We are a priesthood after the order of Christ, brothers and sisters. We are not only purchased by his blood, but we are bathed in it. We are washed by it. We are pure, chosen and pure in Christ. 
and we are consecrated for service in his presence by it. Our salvation, our blessing come from us being priests for Christ because we are united to him. Let us not be priests like Hophni and Phinehas who disregarded or desecrated the holy things in God's presence. But be encouraged as well, brothers and sisters. What ultimately damned Phinehas and Hophni was, yes, their sin, but not sin ultimately. We are all sinners. It was that they did not repent. Which showed that they were reprobate and not chosen of God for salvation. We chosen of God are not to purchase time in God's presence by well-doing. We cannot. No, we are to repent, for that is what the chosen do. We are to be pure, for that is what the chosen do. And we are brought into God's presence, not because we are worthy of it, but because Christ brought us to God. In the sight of God, we are sinful priests like Hofting and Phineas. Were it not for Christ interceding and reconciling us by the blood of his cross, we would indeed be destroyed. We are saved not by our works reconciling us to the blood of his cross. We are saved by Christ's works looking to him. We are Phineas and Hophni, but the Phineas and Hophni that Christ decided to have mercy upon. And when confronted, repented of our sins, and had faith because of God's merciful work within us, let us not take our priesthood lightly like Phineas and Hophni brothers, lest we fall. For Christ, our great high priest, took nothing lightly and purchased our salvation utterly. Instead of our own strength, let us look to another, the strength that Samuel took from, the strength of Israel, and the one which we worship forever as priests in his presence, as our reward, Christ Jesus, our Lord and our high priest. Let us go to him in prayer. Lord, we thank you that we have indeed been chosen We, an exclusive race of priests, we thank you, Lord, that we have not only been chosen, but we have been given the purity that comes by being bathed in the blood of Christ. We thank you that, Lord, we have not even simply been purified, but, Lord, that we have been made righteous in the righteousness of Christ as we are united in him, so that we may come into your presence. We thank you, Lord, that as we are a royal priesthood, that we now have new desires. That, Lord, although we are by nature like Hophni and Phineas, as we go about desiring our base desires, the things which do not satisfy, we pray, Lord, that you would give us repentance, that we would trust in Christ in faith. And, Lord, as our great high priest, that you would bring us to that great day of redemption and declare upon us that we have no sin. For it has been placed upon Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this great assurance. May you come quickly, we pray. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.